What's love got to do with it? Several weeks ago, John used that classic Tina Turner song as an opening to his sermon back on Romans 12. I thought it would be fitting to come back with that title because today's passage really brings us back to Romans 12 and where we left off there. And in doing so, Paul answers the question, what does love got to do with it? Let's turn right there right now. That's page 948. We're in chapter 13, verses 5 through 10, though we'll be focusing mostly on 8 through 10. Therefore, one must be in subjugation, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall uh, not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. To get a picture of where we're at in this passage, we need to kind of remember where we've come from. Remember the first uh, 11 chapters of, of Romans talks about what God has done. And then we got to 12 and it talks about how because of that we're supposed to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, not conformed to the world. And then we went on from there to, to the gifts of grace. And then in 12.9 we started with let love be genuine. And throughout that in a heading that the authors put in there, not the uh, Paul, but the authors, uh, the translators of this Bible, marks of a true Christian. And they talk about what it means to be a true Christian, and it starts off with love. Love is the very foundation of what it means to be a true Christian. Love of the triune God and love of each other. Love is when we put the interests of others equal to or ahead of our own. When we take time out to be with someone or buy them something, when we spend time, when we could have spent that time or that money on ourselves. Now, if we never want to be with them or we never want to do anything nice for them, then you have to ask, do we really love them or is it just something we say? Well, we went from chapter 12 to chapter 13. And we did this, uh, it seemed like a detour, it's, it's called a parenthetical, it's like it's put in parentheses, like Paul just said, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to talk about this for a second, and he does that often, and he talks about submitting to authorities, and part of that submission to authorities was paying your taxes, and he goes from paying your taxes right back to love. Love, taxes, love, it's kind of a tax love sandwich. I know that's how all of you think of taxes. So we're back to where we ended back in 1221 on the topic of, of love. With that in mind, let's turn to eight. And let's, let's focus in on that. Owe no one anything except to love each other. First, let's just deal with sometimes a translation that's seen in this first half of this verse that, that is incorrect. The translation, it says, oh, this means you should have no debt. 
You should never, a Christian should never have any debt. And they point to this. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying don't have a mortgage. He's saying, not saying don't have a car payment. He's saying pay your mortgage and pay your car payment and pay all your bills on time. Don't owe anything to anyone that has come due. In other words, don't have any overpaid or overdue unpaid bills. But the one debt we can never fully repay is the debt to love each other. Bengal calls it the never-ending debt. Now we can ask, how did we incur this debt? You're telling me I got this, this huge debt that it's going to be there the rest of my life. How did I incur this debt? Go back to 12, 1 and 2. That mighty biblical word, therefore. Paul says, because of all that God has done through chapters 1 through 11, therefore, because of that, we owe this debt of love. We are to be transformed into wholly acceptable people to God, not conformed to the world. That's how this debt came about. Now, we don't love to be saved. We are saved so we can love. Okay? We owe this debt. Then what does it mean to love each other? How how do I live out paying this debt? Well, that takes us back to 12 again. I'm going to reread chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, because that's as good a depiction of what love is as we're going to find. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And he means honor to each other. Do not be slothful in zeal or fervent, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what it means. He goes on. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Wait a minute. I thought we Christians were no longer under the law. I thought we didn't have anything to do with the law. And what does it mean that the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Well, the law in in the specific case Paul is going to use here, example, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And that was given to the Israelites so that they could live in relationship with a holy God. Unholy people, holy God. And also that they can live with each other as a people of God in a proper relationship. And it's summed up, all this 
teaching that, that the Mosaic Law gave on how to live with each other is summed up in Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They had that. The Israelites, though, chose to kind of pick and choose. Instead of taking this overarching command that God had given them, they, they picked and choose those commands they wanted to obey. And shock of shocks, they picked the ones that were the easiest for them. I know we'd never see that today. Now, with Jesus Christ coming, he brought several things. He brought forgiveness, redemption, adoption, salvation itself. The fullness of the kingdom of God, now but not fully yet. Is his coming, he, he brought... He became the new Israel. He became the new temple. He became the fulfillment of the law. As the Bible tells us many times, the law is not abolished. It is fulfilled by his coming and through the life of his followers. And the difference between the Israelites and Jesus' followers is back in 12, 1 and 2. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. That is, if we're in Christ. We have the power of the Holy Spirit which empowers us to live lives that are based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Over the years, I've asked people, what do you want out of a church service? And, and you hear many things. I say, well, what, what specifically do you want out of a, a sermon? And often I hear, I, I want some ideas that I can work on during the week to be a better person. Kind of sounds like a self-help program based on the teachings of Jesus. It's like having front row seats to the greatest artist you can imagine and choosing to listen to that concert while standing outside a block away. Oh, you can kind of hear it. But why would you choose that over being in the front row? Jesus doesn't offer tips on how to be a better person he offers the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. We just don't become better versions of our old self. We are offered transformation into new creations to literally be the personification of God's love to the world. To be a continuation of Jesus' ministry with the power of God through the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, the Greek word used throughout these chapters for love is, is the word agape. Greeks often have more descriptive or more words than we do in English, and so they have four words for love, and one of them was agape, and we just translated it as love. And agape was a, a, a not a widely used word in Greek in the first century, and the Christian writers took that word and, and brought a meaning to it that, that meant divine love. Agape love is that, that God of love that, that caused Jesus Christ to go to the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and that we might be given new life. It is also the agape love that is available through the Holy Spirit so that we can love each other. Sometimes we think, I gotta, okay, I just got to really work hard to love this person. If I just will myself to love this person. 
I don't know about you, but that never works. I need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to give me the eyes of Christ to see this person as Christ sees them. This whole love thing. You know, back in, in Matthew 22, Jesus, when asked by a Pharisee about the greatest commandment, he, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And that is said in all four of the Gospels. Not too many things are said in all four of the Gospels, but that is said in all four of the Gospels. And in Luke, Jesus adds to that the Good Samaritan story, the, the parable, and brings into that definition of neighbor as being pretty much universal. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. To have him as Lord of our lives and to be saved to be loved. goes on in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in the world, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This whole book, in my, my case, 1167 pages of it, is based on and really just a commentary on those two commandments. Love God, love ourselves or love others as ourselves. And then it's full of examples. Now, I don't know about you, but I need all that. I need all 1,167 pages for me to get the two commands because it seems almost overwhelming at times. Somehow today, it seems that, that we think you can be a Christian and not be a follower of Jesus Christ. Somehow, it's almost the word Christian has almost taken on, well, a different meaning than it's had in history. According to this book, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, I, I, I have trouble with all the what shall I do and what I shall I not do. I, I, I don't have them all memorized. Seems like there's a lot of those in the Old Testament. But really, two things I got to remember. Love God with all that I am. I mean all that I am. And love others as I love myself. And if I, if I struggle with that last one, all we got to do is go back to Romans 12, 9 through 21 and read that over and over and over again. He wraps it up in, tw in 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. No wrong to a neighbor. I, of course I've never wronged a neighbor. Because everything I've always done, I did because I thought I was right in doing it. 
Right? But I ask myself this. Is it wrong to do less for my neighbor than I do for myself? Because if I do less for my neighbor than I do for myself, then I am not keeping the teachings of Jesus. I've shared with you in the past about my neighbor, or my former neighbor now, Russell. And you know, we bought our place in back 98, so it's going to be 20 years, and, and you know, we were just buying a place for the weekends and maybe a couple of weeks in the summer, so we weren't that conscious of what was around us. We had a nice view of the lake. It was all good. And this guy that lived next to us was, was a little different. In 01, we moved up here full time. I mean, like 365 days out of the year. Full time. And it was odd. Every time anybody came over to our house, the first thing they'd notice is, is this house to the east of us. they say, how can you live here? How can you live next to that? What's even going on over there? It looks like a junkyard, and that house looks like it's going to fall down any minute. And what's all that weird old scaffolding that's up around the house? And I'd look, and, and I'd go, yeah, it's, it's kind of different. But it doesn't bother me. Now, now you got to understand, Russell... Russell had no friends. And what I found, I I don't think his family really liked him a whole lot. I think his wife loved him. But I got to know Russell. You know, properties met, and and, and I was out every once in a while, we'd start talking, and, and I found Russell fascinating. Over the years, I, he became a powerful voice in my life about things. Now, again, not a follower of Jesus Christ, not about spiritual things, but he made me question myself about some things. And I came to really appreciate love. I mean, he meant a lot to me. I would say, yes, I loved him. Now, I may have been the only friend he had, but he was my friend. And I saw in that love I had for him that it had to be from God. Because there's no reason I'd like a guy like that. I like to keep my property somewhat neat. I try not to be totally obnoxious to everyone I meet. Okay, some of you... But the work that God did in me through Russell in showing me what divine love looks like, showing me the power of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit can take our eyes and transform our view of someone was amazing. And he'd sit for hours and talk to me about God. Now, he didn't believe in God, but he'd listen to me talk about 
Two and a half years ago, Russell died. His wife's niece has got the property. His wife went into a nursing home. They tore down the house and redid everything, and they got a cute little cabin now, and the property's immaculate. And I still miss him. I spent a year and a half apologizing to me and my wife for Russell. For how he kept his property and who he was. And I spent that same year and a half trying to explain to them what God did through him in my life. What's love got to do with it? Gracious Lord, it's so easy to find reasons to justify ourselves acting a certain way to the people around us. But you tell us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, and as an example of your love as you sent your Son to the cross, that we can truly love those people. Even people we might not normally get along with, even people that are our enemy. We can love because of what you've done through your son and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <coughs>